You're listening to a podcast by New Heights Church. We hope you're encouraged to glorify, grow, and go. Uh, The passage of scripture will be Esther, chapter 7, verse 1. I'm going to read, and feel free to read with me if you would like. So the king and Haman went into a feast with Queen Esther. And on the second day, as they were drinking wine after the feast, the king said again to Esther, What is your wish, Queen Esther? It shall be granted you. And what is your request? Even to the half of my kingdom it shall be fulfilled. Then Queen Esther answered, If I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it please the king, let my life be granted me for my wish and my people for my request. For we have been sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. If we had been sold merely as slaves, men and women, I would have been silent for our affliction is not to be compared with the loss to the king. Then King Asuerus said to Queen Esther, Who is he and where is he? Who has dared to do this? And Esther said, A foe and enemy, this wicked Haman. Then Haman was terrified before the king and the queen. Join me briefly in prayer to pray over Pastor Will as he comes to preach. Father, we ask your grace be upon us this morning, this church, this gathered congregation. I pray that you would be with us, that we will be ready of an open mind and heart to receive the word. And God, that you'll be with Pastor Will as he preaches, that you'll give him clarity and purpose in preaching to glorify you in all things. In Jesus' name I pray, and amen. Amen. Thank you, Jason. Um, We're going to go ahead and dismiss our kids, second through fourth grade. You guys can go with Tina and Hannah. Uh, They'll be at the back of the room here. They're going to go across the parking lot into our gym over there. Um, While they are going, uh, just a couple of quick reminders. We do have Vacation Bible School coming up very quickly. That's the first week of August. There's a link on that paper on the back wall. Um, You can go to that link. You need to pre-register your children. Um, So if you uh, have kids that are going to take part and participate in VBS, uh, go to that link to register your children. Also, you can use the same form Uh, to volunteer. We need a lot more volunteers than we currently have signed up. And so you can go to that same link in the same form. You can make a note that you would uh, be happy to volunteer to help us pull off VBS. And so uh, please do that this week. Um, If not, next week I'll just take even longer time out of the sermon time. Maybe we'll get out of the sermon. I'll just like preach at y'all about serving in VBS. Um, Listen, uh, Moses' day, they had to wander through the wilderness. In our day, we have VBS. It's just something we got to do. All right, so... Let's just suck it up and let's get it done, okay? Um, and, um, and I do want to remind you guys, our, our youth ministry is ongoing. Uh, we have uh, middle schoolers meet to, on Sunday night, so they'll be meeting tonight at 6. Our high schoolers aren't meeting this week, but they'll meet next Wednesday, and they'll be meeting every Wednesday after that. And um, again, with youth, uh, we do have, uh, we, it's, it's on our minds right now, they're, they're going back to school. Trapper keepers are back at Walmart Praise be to God. Um, it's exciting time. Um, so we want you guys to help uh, Connor Thompson, uh, more uh, endearly known as Thunder around here. Um, he wanted to bless uh, kids in foster care. And so we, church, we want to get behind him in that. And so we're going to be taking up school supplies, uh, donations of that the next two Sundays. And then the Thompson family is going to make sure those go to NECO and they'll, um, they'll go toward kids in foster care. So um, there's a list of that on our social media. And uh, so please uh, make an effort to get behind Connor and that, and uh, let's let's uh, show up, church. Okay. Um, again, 
My name is Will. I'm one of the pastors here. It's great to see you. Um, if, if you are new to our church or if you haven't taken membership yet, um, let me invite you to have lunch with me after service. Um, it's nothing fancy. We're getting pizza, I think. Um, but it's a time for us to talk about our church. Um, it, you may not be ready for membership yet and you think it's quick. That's fine. Um, there's no obligation. We don't make you sign up for anything at lunch. Uh, but it's a great time to just hear about our doctrine and hear what the church is about. Uh, maybe you've been here for a long time. Maybe you kind of feel like you're a member already, but you've never went through this process. Why don't you come to lunch today and let us explain why we think membership's important. Um, and, and so wherever you fall on that spectrum, um, if you're not a member, we invite you to lunch today. This is the lunch for non-member people. If you are a member, please leave after church, okay? Um, all right. You can come back later in the week. That's fine, but not, not for lunch today. All right. Um, let me recap Esther to you before I jump into chapter seven to preach it. In chapter one, you have the queen of the Persian empire, largest empire in the world at that time. Vashti is removed for being disobedient to the king. And then in chapter two, Esther is chosen to be the new queen. Um, in chapter three, her adoptive father, Mordecai, refuses to bow to the second in command in the Persian empire, a guy named Haman. He was a wicked, wicked man. In response to that, Haman wants to annihilate not only Mordecai, but the entire Jewish nation, all Jewish people. People. He wants to wipe out an ethnicity. And so this genocide is put into an edict assigned um, by Haman, uh, by permission granted by the foolish king Xerxes. And, um, and this edict goes out that the day before they celebrate a significant holiday in their faith, that there is going to be an annihilation, a genocide of the Jewish people. Mordecai goes to his daughter, Esther, and says, you've got to do something. God's placed you in that palace for such a time as this. Um, Esther agrees and says, um, I will go to the king um, uninvited, which could have resulted in her death. And she says, I will go and I will ask him. Uh, and if I perish, I perish. She requests to have a feast or a banquet with with the king and with Haman, that happens. And there's a moment where the king asks her, what do you want, Esther? And she says, I want you to come to another feast. Um, so maybe in a moment of nervousness or fear, she doesn't quite ask for what she needs to. And, and then where we find ourselves in chapter seven is the feast where she does speak up and say the explicit need of her people. Um, and this is the climax of the book. We have rising action in chapters one through six, chapters eight through 10. The next several weeks, you're gonna see kind of some falling action and resolution. Chapter seven is the climax of the book. And I wanna preach chapter seven to you today. I've got two points. If you're a note taker, uh, write these down and uh, they'll help you follow along. These are two applications for your souls today. Number one is that service to God calls for courage. We're gonna see a good example in Esther today um, of godly, gospel-centered courage in the Lord. Secondly, sin against God calls for confession. We're going to see an antithesis to this. We're not going to see this behavior in the text. Uh, we're going to see that the rest of scripture calls us to, to biblical confession, but we don't see that from this wicked man, Haman. Uh, rather, we'll see something else. And so I want to illustrate and apply these things to you today. Uh, point one, service to God calls for courage. Um, one of our members, Anna Beatty's uh, starring in a couple of plays that are going on in Huntington right now. And one of them is the Wizard of Oz. And you guys know the story of the Wizard of Oz, right? Dorothy's on her way to find the wizard and she runs into the cowardly lion, right? And he says, if I only had courage. And he's singing in his goofy way and, and praying and, and hoping that the wizard can give him the courage that he lacks as what he's supposed to be as king of the forest. And um, here you see a great model of courage in Esther. Um, 
We've seen it in, you know, Law and Order. I think USA Channel only plays Law and Order these days. But, you know, we've seen it in Law and Order where, you know, there's the crime and then the investigation and it ultimately leads up to the court case. A lot of times in that show, what will happen is the, the victim is called upon to testify in court or to sometimes even face their abuser or persecutor. Um, here we see that playing out in Esther's life. And I want you to try to imagine how difficult it would have been for Esther as she um, is in a place where she's uncomfortable anyways. Um, she's already fearful for her life. Pastor Jabes, when he preached about her approaching the king, uh, told us that the Apocrypha shows us that, that there were probably two maids that went with her, one to carry the train of her beautiful dress and the other to hold her up out of fear of approaching the king uninvited. Um, so she was probably already terrified, but not only is she already fearful, but she has to confront and name Haman as the, the one who has devised this plot to eliminate the Jewish people. She has to call him out to his face. Now, uh, you might be a very confrontational person. There are a few of us that exist in the world. My wife gets a bellyache if I, if I say, you know, something's wrong at a restaurant or like they got my order wrong. She's like, just eat it. Like, don't say anything, right? Like she could, she could be like severely allergic to what they bring out and she'll just be like, it's just a little swelling. I'll take some Benadryl when we get home. I don't want to be confrontational, right? And so Esther has to, I don't know if she was a confrontational person, but Esther here has to, um, she has to confront Haman. And so we see that happen as the king asks her, what is your request? I've already asked you this once. Are you going to ask us to come back to another feast, another banquet? What do you want, queen? Up to half my kingdom. Verse three, she answers him and she says, if I have found favor in your sight, O king, and it pleased the king, let my life be granted me for my wish and my people for my request. For we have been sold, I and my people, to be destroyed. I want you to remember these words. To be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. If we'd been sold merely as slaves, men and women, I would have been silent, for our affliction is not to be compared with the loss to the king. It's amazing to me that Esther says, if we were just becoming slaves in your kingdom, uh, King Xerxes, I would have remained silent, but I'm not okay with genocide. And, and what she does is she quotes the edict. She quotes the actual law. We see it in Esther 3.13 when the law is written by Haman. It says, letters were sent by couriers to all the king's provinces with instruction to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate all Jews. Um, and I think it's noteworthy that she's directly quoting the edict. Um, our words are powerful and they have significant meaning. And especially when you want something to come across as powerful, you, you carefully choose your words. I think of uh, Pearl Harbor and when President Roosevelt um, spoke to the, the people of America after that attack, he described it as a day that will live in infamy. And all the Americans got out the dictionary to look up what infamy meant. <laughs> Um, the original draft of that speech was that it would be a day that would be remembered in world history, but his wording choice that it would be live in infamy because of its uniqueness allowed it to be even more memorable. And it's the same with the edict that Haman wrote to annihilate the Jewish people. He used three words that were to emphasize and make memorable the fact that the Jewish people would be killed and eliminated. And here, Esther quotes it exactly. And I have to think that, you know, Haman's, you know, eating his, eating his dinner and his fork just drops as he hears her quoting the edict that he wrote, the words that he chose very carefully. She says, my people, identifying herself as a Jewish woman for the first time, my people to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. You see, courage, godly courage is never blind 
It's well thought out. It's cautious. It's methodical. Um, she, she goes in the king, not to the king, not recklessly, but in, in wisdom. And, and godly courage requires diligence from us, church. And this is a good model for us as Esther uh, thinks through what she's going to say. And she even quotes the law to the king as she um, finally speaks up about what she is in protest of. You see, the right thing is always worth speaking up about. Amen? And Esther here uh, does just that. Now, Ahasuerus is a little bit clueless, isn't he? Um, men are forgetful. Amen, wives? You can nudge your husband a little bit. It's all right if he forgot your anniversary or something. Um, but, but men are forgetful. Uh, I, I have a very selective memory. My brain just deletes stuff if I think I don't need to remember it anymore. And Amanda gives me a hard time about that. Um, this morning at breakfast, though, Bella was able to remember every birthday of every person in our home and even our pets' birthdays. I didn't know pets had birthdays, but apparently ours do. And Bella remembered all of them. And when I go to the pharmacy and get drugs for our kids, I can't remember their birthdays. They think I'm just, you know, asking for stuff so I can make my homemade concoctions because I can't remember their birthdays. Um, I got five kids, right? It's hard. And so... <laughs> Ahasuerus is, is, he's having trouble remembering it. You know, I'm sure he signed a lot of documents and whatnot, but he's having trouble remembering. And so he's asking for clarity. Who is responsible for this? Well, he is himself because he allowed such a thing to happen. But ultimately, Haman is the one who devised this plot. And so in further boldness, as the king asks for clarity, it wasn't just enough that Esther just said, hey, there's, there's danger. We need to stop this genocide of the Jews. But he says, Who's the, who's the one person, Esther, that's behind this? Who's responsible? And in verse 6, Esther speaks up in courage and boldness, and she says, A foe and enemy, the wicked Haman. And Haman was terrified before the king and the queen. So she very confrontationally says, Haman is the one who is to blame for this plot. Um, we see this beautiful picture of boldness. We uh, just went on a pastor's retreat to Colorado with the Acts 29 Network, and we went on Route 24, which is a very steep road that goes around all these cliffs, and there was one scenic overlook, and we stopped not really thinking um, that there was much more than a pull-off for the car, but when we got over the ledge, um, we were over 10,000 feet in elevation. We saw that there was a very big drop-off, but there was a little narrow rock that went out, and you could go out and just have this gorgeous view. And I looked at Amanda, and I was like, I'm going out there. And she's like, no, you're not. And so we walked away, and we were going to leave, and then I was like, but I really want to go out there. Like, I'm going to live the rest of my life in regret if I don't go out there. So Amanda's like, I'm not watching you die. I'm getting in the car. So she gets in the car. She put her seatbelt on in the car. I don't know if she thought that would help me be safe or whatever, but she's sitting in the car. The car's not running. She puts her seatbelt on. And so I go out there uh, with a couple of my friends, and we go out on that cliff, and it is gorgeous and beautiful. But Amanda would say that that was not courage, but rather that was carelessness. That was reckless behavior on my part because one slip and I'd be gone, and I don't even know if she'd collect life insurance because it would be my fault. And, um, and so she would call that not courage, but carelessness. And what I want to make a distinction of today is the difference between the two. Uh, God has not called us to just be reckless and careless with the way that we live. He's called us to courage. It's different. And what Esther is displaying is not recklessness. It's well thought out courage in the gospel. That, that Esther is doing what we give medals for. When, when people go to war, when, when our military men and women go into battle, we don't give them medals and rewards for acting stupid. 
We don't give them medals and rewards for doing things that will get them killed. We give them medals for being heroes. We give them medals for saving other people. And so carelessness might get you killed, but it's not courage. Courage is, is putting your own self at risk for the safety and salvation of someone else. And this is what Esther is doing. She's displaying courage. She's not just acting in her own interest. She's acting on the interest of others. Because if anybody could wiggle out of this law, it would be the queen, right? And using her power and influence, she probably even could have saved her dad, Mordecai. But her people were destined to be annihilated. Church, my prayer for us is that we would be a people that are not content to just be saved on our own. Hey, we, we got our golden ticket to heaven. We're good. My prayer for us is that our hearts would break over and over and over again, that there are people that we interact with every week that are in real danger. They're living their lives without Jesus, without a relationship with their creator. And should they perish without that, then they will be damned for eternity. That should scare you and it should lead you not to a careless way of living, but a courageous way of living, opening your mouth and speaking up when you need to. Sharing the gospel with those who need to hear it. Now, Jason, who read scripture for us today, his wife, Heather, she hosts our podcast. If you ever listen to the podcast, you hear her giving Jeremy and I a hard time all the time. She's just relentless and mean to us. Um, but she, uh, she got on to me a little bit for, for giving Esther a hard time, busting on Esther a little bit. Let me be clear. Esther is a sinner and she has flaws, but this is her moment of glory in chapter seven. In chapter seven, Esther is a very good example for you, Christian is a very good person for you to look to and say, I want the boldness that Esther has. I want to be willing to speak up, even though it might put myself at risk, I want to do so for the saving of people that I may not even know. May we all have that spirit that Esther has in chapter seven, that we would be willing to put ourselves at risk and be confrontational and do things that make us uncomfortable if it means that people are saved. But there's one that's even better than Esther, and his name is Jesus. He's the unseen king of this story, and he is much more courageous and bold than Esther could ever dream of being. In Luke 22, we hear this about Jesus. He kneels in a garden, and he says, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. Think about this. The God who created everything, the God who is infinitely strong, limited himself in such a way that an angel had to come and strengthen him for the task that stood before him. He did that for us. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. You think Esther was stressed out? Jesus was more stressed. Jesus' sweat became drops of blood as he prays, not my will, but in submission, Father, your will be done. That as he goes to the cross, he's not going to the cross reckless and careless about his life. He's going to the cross well thought out, methodical, carrying out a plan that was foreordained and predestined for your salvation and mine. That he goes to the cross, not in carelessness, but in courage. The cross was not a plan of recklessness. It was a plan of courage that Jesus would step into boldness and then he would embolden his church. And so the reason that we can have the same courage that Esther had is because of the God that we hope in. Because we can be confident not in ourselves, we can be confident in him. After Jesus rose from the dead, the, the, the disciples were the most cowardly men you could have imagined. They locked themselves in a room and refused to preach the gospel, but then they were indwelled by the Holy Spirit. By the way, the same spirit that lives in each of you if you've repented and trusted in Jesus. 
And that courage that took Jesus to the cross now lives in you, Christian. And so much so that when the disciples were beaten up, when they were arrested, when some of their colleagues were killed, here's what they prayed. They didn't pray for God to remove the persecution. Rather, they said, now, Lord, look upon the threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. They said, don't take away the persecution. Bring it on, Lord, that we may be bold for your glory. And I think Americans, we'd be terrified to pray prayers like that. We don't know what to do when people don't talk to us no more, don't like us. What if they're arresting us and killing us? You see, service to God calls for courage. Point two, sin against God calls for confession. This is something that Haman failed to do. Had he confessed his wicked heart early in the story, maybe he would have found mercy. Uh, But we know that that's not what happens. He only confesses when he gets caught. And Christian, let me just tell you, if the only time you confess sin is when you're caught in sin, you might have a heart issue. Because the Bible says that the Holy Spirit catches us in sin over and over and over. His job is to convict us of our sin. And that means that we are to be confessing sin to one another and confessing sin to God. Now the king, uh, Hasuerus, realizes for the first time that his wife is a Jew and that there is an edict to destroy all Jews in effect, and he's angry about it. He's ticked off. Now what is a king who is ticked off at a man who tried to kill his wife? What do you expect him to do? Well, naturally, leave the table and go for a gentle walk in his garden. That's what all men do when we're angry, right? Amen. And so this king tells us in verse seven, the king arose in his wrath from the wine drinking and went into the palace garden. Now, why he went into the garden, we don't know. Uh, Maybe it was this happy place. Maybe he really liked flowers. I, I don't know if he's growing tomatoes out there and he was, you know, going to, you know, munch on those to calm down. But it says that Haman stayed, and I want you to visualize this. Haman stayed to beg for his life from Queen Esther. For he saw that harm was determined against him by the king. Now, the king, he leaves, and it doesn't seem very diligent, but let me, let me put, put that to rest a little bit. It is very unlikely that he left Esther by herself with Haman. Um, the, we see later in the passage that there are guards and eunuchs present. Um, so there were probably armed guards in the dining room that they were having dinner. So it's very unlikely that Ahasuerus just left Esther unattended or in danger. Um, There are probably guards around, but nevertheless, he does leave. And I want you to see the posture of Haman as he begs for his life. And there's a beautiful irony in it that only God could write this story. Again, God's not mentioned explicitly in this book, but we see over and over again that God is orchestrating the circumstances for his glory. And what you see is the whole story begins with Mordecai, who is a Jew, Mordecai's refusal to bow down to Haman. So as the story begins with a Jew refusing to bow, the story ends with Haman bowing down to a Jew, bowing down to a Jewish woman, begging for his life. And what we see in this is the beautiful justice of God, something that we as God's people should long for. We should long to see this justice. We should long to see the wicked brought low and the righteous win. And sin will always lead to our humiliation and being brought low. It always will. And there's a crucial difference, though, between the redeemed and the wicked. Because even though you, as you might be a Christian, you've repented of sin, you trust in Jesus, that makes you a Christian, but that doesn't make you sinless. You're still a sinner. 
But here's the crucial difference between you and those who are outside of Christ. One of us confesses and the other begs. Those outside of Christ will one day beg for their lives, but it will be too late. The Bible describes it in Philippians 2. It says, Therefore God has highly exalted Jesus and bestowed on him the name above every name. At that name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There will come a day when those who have not repented and trusted in Jesus will beg for their lives, but forgiveness will not be granted to them. But those of us who are in Christ, we have repented now. And so begging for mercy on the final day will not find salvation, but repentance now will. And that's why we have to have courage to call upon people to confess their sins now rather than later. And as the scene plays out, Ahasuerus, after he goes for his little walk in his little garden, uh, he comes back and he finds this. We see it in verse 8. The king returned from the palace garden to the place where they were drinking wine as Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was. It was like perfect timing. Again, God's making this all work out. And the king said, will he even assault the queen in my presence, in my own house? And as the word left the mouth of the king, they covered Haman's face. Now, when it says they covered Haman's face, the, the, what it's describing is a, a hood of execution is being pulled over Haman's face. That black hood they put on people before they carry them away to be executed. They just know, without the king even saying it, that he's going to kill this guy. And imagine, as the king comes back in, he sees Haman falling on his wife on the couch, and he says, Hey, man, Haman. That didn't go over well in the first service either. It's fine. I thought it was funny. But he says, Hey, man. And, he, and he's, he, he just calmed down, but now he's even more enraged because this man, it looks like, is maybe physically attacking his wife, maybe even sexually assaulting his wife. And there was a Persian law that you, if you were not the king, you weren't allowed to come within arm's length of the queen. And so here Haman is violating that. And so he just simply says, will he even assault the queen in my presence? And the guards kind of look at each other and they, we know what's happening here. And they put the hood over Haman's face. And I want you to think about this. Probably the last thing that Haman ever saw was the beauty of Queen Esther. The last thing that this wicked sinner ever saw before he was sent to eternal damnation was the hope that lived in a godly woman like Esther. May it not be for the people in your life that the last thing they see before eternal damnation is the hope that lives within you. My prayer for the people that, that see me live out the Christian life, that they, they see that and then some. That, that they're not just looking into my life and seeing Christianity, but they're invited into the same Christianity that I live in. Whether it, whether it makes our relationship awkward or not, but my prayer is that I would have the courage to speak up to people and say, there's a hope in me that I don't know if it's in you, but I want to I invite you into this family because it's the most important thing in my life. And you guys will stumble through those conversations, but just like Esther kind of uh, freaking out and backing out on the first banquet, you'll have moments where you think it's going to be uh, influential for the gospel and it won't quite work out, but God will make sure that his people are redeemed. You have a God that is much bigger than the circumstances that you're afraid of. We see the conclusion of this chapter in verses 9 and 10. Harbana, one of the eunuchs in attendance on on the king said, moreover, the gallows that Haman had prepared for Mordecai, whose word saved the king, by the way, is standing at Haman's house, 50 cubits high. And the king said, hang him on that. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Then the wrath of the king abated. 
This beautiful irony continues further in the very gallows that were constructed for Mordecai or what Haman has executed. Excuse me, what Haman has executed on. And we think gallows, we, we think of a, a tower that's built that they would hang people from with a noose. We think Wild West, but the gallows was a tower, but it was built around a tree, a very tall tree that was sharpened at the top. And they would actually impale people through the top of that tree so that they would be up high for everyone to see. And that's how they would execute them. It's very graphic and gruesome. And this is what happened to Haman. I had a friend um, that discipled me while I was in college, and he was in the army. He's a captain in the army. And he told me one time about going into Saddam Hussein's palace in Iraq before he was captured and killed. And he, he would describe to me just all these, like, just the, you see, you see a country that's in poverty, but then you see just this crazy wealth that this man had. He had life-size cutouts of Britney Spears in there. It was a weird thing to learn. Um, but he would, he'd, he'd describe it all to me. And what was most notable was, was the ornate wealth in that palace contrasted with the images I saw on the internet when they drug that man out of a hole with dust and dirt all over him and then hanged him um, around the people that wanted to see him die. And this is a powerful sight to behold, isn't it? When, when the powerful and wealthy fall... It is a sight to behold. And this is why Haman was put up high on that tree. Um, he was lifted up so that all the people in Persia could say, this is what happens when you cross the king. Every reign will come to an end. And Haman's powerful position in Persia certainly did come to an end. But there is one reign that will never end, and that's the reign of the unseen king, Jesus. There's a psalm written about it, Psalm 2. It goes like this. They would sing this in ancient Israel. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Now, who's this king? What's this Zion? Where is this hill? This king is the unseen king of the book of Esther. His name is Jesus. This hill that the Lord says he will set him on is a hill called Calvary. You see, the hill that King Jesus would climb would not be one with a palace at the top of it. It would be one with a cross at the top of it. And he would be executed like the wicked Haman. Like he would be taken out just like the wicked people so that he could pay for the sins of the wicked people. It was on this holy hill that this ruler, Jesus, would be executed and lifted high so that he too would be on display. But he would do this and pay this cost so that we could come to his table. Logan Tennell, who preached here a few weeks ago, said, King Xerxes says, come to me unannounced and I'll give you death. But King Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. You see a better king in Jesus. Amen. You see a better ruler. And I look at King Xerxes and when it came time for judgment, what did he do? I mean, he's kind of famous for this. You, you're kind of learning his MO as we go through Esther. Every time he's got to make a decision, he has to go for a walk or, or bring in other people to help him make the decision. And what happens when he knows that there's a sentence to be handed down, he goes for a walk in the garden. There's going to come a day when Jesus returns, and he's not going to need to think about it. He's not going to need to go for a walk in the garden. He already did that, church. In Genesis, as Adam and Eve sinned, it says that God is walking in the garden with them saying, where are you? 
Then he went to the garden again and his sweat became like drops of blood in agony as he courageously went to the cross. There's no more garden time for Jesus. When he comes back, he's coming as king to rule and reign. And so my exhortation to you today is to make your affairs right with this good king. And so we come to this king the same way that Esther came, with humility and with courage. We come with courage and confession. We live in courage and confession. We live in courage that's rooted in the courage of another, not in our, of our own selves or of our own works, but we live in courage and in confidence because Jesus has done it for us. He's accomplished everything on the cross for us. And that leads us to also live in confession, remembering that we're jacked up sinners, just like the people we're called to reach. And so we find ourselves in confession day after day. We confess our sins Trusting in a king who we know loves us and we know will forgive us. The more you sin, the more he is inclined to forgive you and pull you out of that sin. Jesus loves you deeply. And he's done everything to draw you into this kingdom. And there's nothing that you could ever do to lose your right to his table. And so as we come to take communion today, you are given a reminder from this king. You're given a reminder, uh, this bread that represents his body and this juice that represents his blood. You are given this reminder week after week so that you can remember the hill that he climbed and the execution that he was lifted up on to purchase you so that you could be in his kingdom. You're reminded of that, but you don't come lightly. You don't come irreverently. If you're not living in obedience, don't take communion today. If you're not a Christian, don't take communion today. If, you're, if you've refused to be baptized, don't take communion today. You need to live in obedience with Christ. But once that confession is there, there's no more guilt there. That is the good news for us Christians, that the guilt is no more. That we can live in that freedom because we have a good king who's accomplished it all for us. Let me uh, lead us in a time of prayer. And I want you to see, uh, before we take communion and then we'll sing um, in a moment, I want to read what our king will do in, in Revelation, what we see in the future. As we gather around this king, Revelation 5, 9 tells us that we are going to sing a new song. And these are the lyrics to this new song we will sing. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. You see, the scrolls in Revelations are a symbol of judgment and authority. Jesus is the only one who can hand down that sentencing and that judgment. So we'll sing, Worthy are you to take the scroll to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Heavenly Father, we thank you for being gracious with us, wicked people, who can see ourselves in wicked people like Haman in your word. But God, I thank you that you have not left me in that state. And Lord, my prayer for everyone in this room is that they would see their sin, that they would be repulsed by it as you are, and that they would turn from it and that they would trust in you. Lord, maybe there's people in here who have not yet become Christians. I pray that you give them faith this morning to believe. Lord, those of us who have been in this kingdom for some time, Help us to believe it anew. Help us to understand the gospel more today than we did yesterday. Help us to walk in courage like you call us to, being on mission, sharing our faith, and help us to continually confess our sins to you, Jesus. Understanding that we're broken and wicked, 
And we have no right in this kingdom, but you've called us into it. So, Lord, we ask that you would purify us now as we come joyfully to your table. God, thank you for allowing us to have communion with you. And it's in Christ's good name that we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. To learn more about New Heights Church or a relationship with Christ, please visit our website at www.newheightswv.com.